Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the most inconsistent podcast, the Rise Real Estate <laughs> Investing Podcast, with your host Austin Ye and and Mayu. What's going on, everybody? So, I guess yeah. Today we just decided we're just going to shoot the shit, me and Austin, partially because we don't have any recordings banked, um, and we got to spend some time getting a bunch of new guests. But on that topic, if you guys have guests that you think we should get on the podcast, shoot us a personal message or a DM on Instagram. I'm personally looking to bring on like more business type entrepreneurs. I feel like we maybe, I mean, Austin, I haven't even talked about this, but we maybe deviate from tell us about yourself and your journey and so on to talking more about what they're doing today and kind of jumping into the investing landscape across multiple platforms, not just straight like real estate, but like real estate associated businesses. But that's just my two cents. So if you guys have guests like that, I'd love to get them on and just interview them and learn from them. But aside from that, Austin, what's going on, man? Uh, I moved back. If you can see my background. I guess not because yeah, blurred out. Condo, right? Yeah, I moved back into the condo. So for those who don't know, I was living with my parents over the past um it's like almost two months. We put a condo for sale. When did you guys put it up? Yeah, so we I don't remember. I want to say it was sometime in the first or second week of March, actually. Second week of March. Okay. But leading up to it, we we're clearing everything up. And the big part of us moving out was is that we're trying to get the highest sale price possible. And not you could only do so, but you have the best possibility of doing so. When you move out, anyone can come at any time. No one's there. All your furniture is gone. And you give the stager a blank canvas to work on. And so we got really great photos. Matterport design was all there. We listed it at $719.99, I want to say. It was sitting on the market for about three weeks. We got a lot of good feedback from the realtors who went through. Everyone was saying that it was staged really well. It showed really beautifully, but it was just the layout that was a little bit wonky. So we never received any offers, even though we had about, I don't know, it was like eight, nine, 10 um, walkthroughs. It's not even that bad. No, yeah, exactly. And just to give people a frame of reference, our condo is a 730 square feet condo. So one of the issues that you're facing is, is that you're an oversized one plus one. Because now you're getting into the two bedroom territory. Are right? you including your balcony? Because you've got like a decent balcony. That doesn't include the balcony. No, the balcony is probably 90 or 100 square feet. Mm-hmm. So we're just talking about an interior square footage of 730. And Mayu, thank you for just walking away from me, buddy. <laughs> Anyways. Um, the door, man. I the door. <laughs> oh, you just had to close the door? I thought you yeah, just yeah. got tired of my story. <laughs> That's why we're not doing podcast episode anymore. You just don't want to hear me talk, man. But yeah, so so we had it listed for a while, got good feedback, and then decided the biggest issue here is, is that we're competing against two bedrooms. We had other one plus ones listed in our condo in the five to six hundreds, like mostly six hundreds. So no one is going to click on something that's above 700 for one plus one because you automatically assume it's the same layout as all the other one plus ones, yeah. which is 580 square feet around roughly around there. And so we took it off the market for one day. We listed it back for five ninety nine, holding back offers. And we're just going to say, let's see how many people we can get in here because the issue is getting people through the door. We had about 12 walkthroughs in a week, which is good. It's more than the walk, more than 12, more than all of the walkthroughs we had for the past three weeks. 
And then we had a multiple offer situation. We had four offers come in. Two of them were just like not even in the stratosphere. They're probably lowballing, seeing if it, their shit can stick. And two of them were decent, but we're still not super interested in it. One of them was 650. The other one was 670. And yeah, I mean, FOMO, because you have more offers. Yeah, and you've got like a decent balcony. It's probably like one of the rare like types of units in downtown, right? So I feel like that's hard to articulate in the sale or the listing, right? Yeah, I got to weigh the pros and the cons. We have a good balcony. The con is, is that it faces the courtyard. People like to face the outside to see what's going on. Yeah, yeah. There's never anything going on in the courtyard. <laughs> the layout's a little bit odder. So it's yeah. not like your typical box. It's like sort of like a rectangle with like an octagon pushed to the side. It's weird, weird, yeah. weird layout. But anyways, we ended up causing a bidding war, speaking with a couple of parties. And then one of the parties that bid 670 went up to 730. It's a big jump. And they started off with 640. They threw in a preemptive the day before. Well, like we're not looking at preemptives. And then they threw in 670 the day of, and then they threw in 730. So shout out to Emma Pace, who was the realtor who helped us facilitate this deal. Because, uh, I mean, talking up someone 90K is yeah. uh, obviously no easy feat. It was a firm offer as well. So ended up getting it sold but it just goes to show the psychology of home buyers on how it works because they could have picked this up for lower than 720 because we had it listed we're willing to negotiate (laughs) when you hold back offers because the strategy that works in today's market again which is crazy to imagine when you hold back offers it creates fomo and people psychologically start bidding more than you know what i'm not going to say what the property is really worth because it's a thousand dollars a square foot they're paying for but they're they overpay for what they could have gotten at a cheaper price, right? Yeah, when you were listed at like 719 or whatever, they, someone probably could have just offered you 700 clean and taken the property. We would have taken it, probably. exactly. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> the bidding war strategy works. You're going to be homeless or what's the plan? Yeah, yeah. I just figured out I want to do van lifestyle, you know, like Shut those. <laughs> oh, there's no fucking way you'll ever see me do the van lifestyle. There's just no way, dude. Um, no, I'm going to, so we have another, uh, condo that we're closing on. It was the pre-construction. We talked about a while back Forest Hill. Oh yeah. That one closes in around fall. But if we run it, run across another opportunity before then we'll gladly jump on it. So we're negotiating a couple things. I don't know. I guess I'll get into it after when we talk about like what we're doing right now, investment strategies. I'm looking for my primary. I'll get into that again, like later on in the podcast, but what have you been up to, man? How's everything on your end? Yeah, I can't remember what we last talked about in the podcast. I feel like I told everyone about what happened with the cottage, how we now have to like refinance it twice. So we got out about like 120. We're just going to use it to redo the roof. And like we're spending a lot of money on this thing. It's kind of a money pit at the current moment. But we still have to buy a bunch of furniture. Now we're at like the time crunch, yo, because we're at April 24th. I got to get this thing like furnished ASAP and like listed ASAP. We're going to miss out on prime season. So the stress is there on that one. But that aside, I think... Sorry, why do you have to redo the roof? What what ended up happening there? We just noticed there was like a small... Because we redid the interior and it had like a pretty ugly like steel roof, right? But steel roofs are like they're durable and whatever and stuff like that. The ceiling of like the bedroom upstairs, we noticed a small like watermark type thing. I'm like, okay, it's coming from the roof. We went up there. We realized where the hole was. And the problem with steel roofs is it's like basically a couple sheets of like huge pieces of steel, right? So it's not like you could just like reshingle a part of the roof. You essentially have to redo the entire thing. It's a massive roof because the house itself is big. But luckily, my contractor priced me way too low and kind of regrets it. But he's doing it for like five grand. So we're just like, fuck it, we'll just redo the roof right now. Five grand? Jesus yeah. Christ. Well, he's 1500 on paper <laughs> and then the rest is all material. So, I mean, 
I, my cost is increasing because he's like, yo, like I need a lot more material than I initially thought, but like, don't worry, we're not going to increase the labor. It's going to end up at about five grand. It's like, oh, that's fine. We're doing that. And then I got to get this house fucking furnished and on the market and try out my first Airbnb. You know? Like I've always thought about it. And uh, I'm honestly, I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> Airbnb just seems like it's going to be so much fucking work, but whatever. Yeah, it's an economies of scale things, I imagine. But a lot of people just do it off of one cottage and they do well on it. It's just like you got to do the entire social media thing. You know how people create a social media account for the cottage for bookings, get influencers there. It's almost like it's a business plan, but you're doing it for one single property, which could be pretty time consuming. But what's your game plan there to, to get it occupied? Are you planning on doing any unique strategies on the Airbnb front? I think for this year, honestly, it's just throw it up on the Airbnb and try and get it listed as much as possible. Like we're, we're going to price cut. We're going to be cheap because we kind of have to be at where we are in the season and the year. So it's just more so try and make as much money as possible via Airbnb, more so price undercut everyone else and just try to milk the summer for what we can and get the occupancy size we can. And then, cause like we don't have like accent walls. We don't have like anything like really cool. Like I don't have time to put in like a pool table. I don't have time to just do like a lot of stuff that we wanted to do initially just because of how delayed the project got. So for this year, it's more so just try to make as much money as possible in the summer and then take it off in October, November and basically add the cool elements and do some exterior work if possible and try and go from there. So there's like a portable beside it, right? So now I'm like exploring what do we do with that portable? I'm trying to find someone that I'll just take it out. Like I, I threw it up on Facebook Marketplace and GG, just like portable for free. Just come pick it up. Just someone remove it because I don't want to pay for this demo here. And then we can potentially make that like part of the land into like a glamping type like like put one of those igloo huts or whatever right but i just ultimately need the portable gone and then i can figure out what the fuck we're going to do with it there's also potential redevelopment there but the well system is expensive to put in a new well for like a single house on the side over there so yeah i don't know if redevelopment makes sense in that area yeah it would be basically like a tiny home that we'd have to put there but now you get like two houses on one lot that you bought for dirt cheap and you can now like double not double or like significantly increase your airbnb revenue rates and stuff like that so we'll see I guess because it's rural, you got to think of septic system and yeah. all of that. Like that's where it becomes a pain, right? It's not yeah, like city city services where it's a little, little bit easier. That being said, I mean, with the Airbnb play, are you, I mean, you guys are just kind of going to stage it sort of vanilla. Or are you going to go with a, like a certain sort of theme? No, so that's right. At this point, it's just going to be Ikea, just stage it and Ashley home furniture because they'll just come and assemble everything and just try and get it fucking on the market. Like it's going to be pretty vanilla, but and then next year, like, is when we'll do, like, the entire, like, buy the foosball table, like, put a games room in the basement and, like, put yeah. in some maximum walls and make it pretty and all that kind of stuff, right? And, like, we want to build a gazebo, but I'm not going to do it now because we just ran out of time. So <laughs> next year, we'll hopefully be more of the moneymaker. This year, it's just us just earn enough money so that we have, like, a year's worth of, like, holding costs. And then we can kind of go from there. Okay. So, sorry, I know I'm kind of beating the horse in this. So like barbecue and stuff, is that something that you still are going to yeah, include? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so you like need, you need a barbecue. Okay. So what are the things that you need? So you have air conditioning in your property? No, not yet. Not yet. That's oh coming. my God. That's that is a me. must, must, yeah, must. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are the must haves for you? That's been ordered. So it's coming in May. I think it's like May 10th or something like that. So that obviously the beds, we're just putting five queen beds. We're not really going for the entire bunk bed strategy approach. Just because like we don't really want to have like 30 people in like one place, but five queen beds is still like a decent spot for like 10 adults. Living room, obviously, dining room, um, and all obviously all the cutlery appliances and stuff like that. It's basically and then two sets of living rooms, one upstairs, one downstairs. But we're keeping like a lot of open space for to come back to basically. So that games room downstairs would just be like wide open space. 
And then the exterior needs work. Like we wanted to put in like a volleyball net and like sand pit and like stuff like that, which we're just not going to be able to do right now. There's no fucking way. So we'll see, man. The money pit will continue. But yeah, yeah. And I guess uh, we can talk a little bit about what we personally, I don't know if you've been actively looking on the market. I can give some of the audience my experience. I don't know if I, I don't even remember what we talked about the last time. I don't think I talked about this, but one of the things that I've been doing personally, I guess you can kind of consider this an investing strategy. Sure. But it's more so for my primary. I've been calling realtors for expired listings in anywhere from April 2022 until December 2022, where the market was on a downward trend, buyers were scared off and sellers were motivated. And a lot of the times you'd have good properties sit there and just not even settle because buyers were just not in the market. Obviously, the story has changed now, but I was going to see if there's opportunity there. And I spent about three hours cold calling these realtors. And it's just a tip for the audience. You can you can get these lists from your realtor. You can ask them, hey, can you pull me all the expired listings? And it would say the listing agent's number on these expired listings that they provide you and you just call them directly and ask what's going on. So called a good chunk of them in areas that I wanted. Vast, vast majority. And they're good prices relative to what's selling today, right? Yeah. Vast majority are going to relist now if they haven't already relisted. So I'd, I'd break it down like this. I would say like 60% or so have already relisted and it sold at an insane price over the past two months. <laughs> the ones that I called when I go search yeah. um, the listing. About like 20% is probably like considering relisting and they know the market condition. And so they are not going to sell off the market. They're going to relist it because they know they can get much more than they could have last year. And then the are remainder- the listing realtors or are you contacting the seller? Both. So what I do is just to give people an idea of my process is I'll get a list of expired listing in areas that I want. So Toronto is divided by CO1, like different sort of neighborhoods, divisions, right? So I I target a couple of the the neighborhoods that I want, get the expired listings within that range. Less than 1.2 million is what I'm looking for. And then I start searching to see if it has sold already, if they relisted it and sold. If they did, no point in reaching out. If it hasn't, my second check is is to see if I can contact the person directly via Canada, what is it, 411? I think that was the website. Canada 411, you can paste an address and see the owner's phone number of it, but it works 30% of the time, not all of the time, like 30% of the time, right? I didn't even know this is a thing. (laughs) Yeah, so you can do two things. I can search by name or I can search by address and find the owner's phone number. So I've cold call like that. I've only gotten one owner to pick up and they said that they were not interested in selling anymore, but they appreciate me reaching out. And if anything changes, they'll reach back out to me. But most of the time it's through the listing agent, okay? And then, yeah, so I would search the address there or their name in Canada 411 and try to reach out to them. If not, speak with the listing agent and just let the listing agent know what I'm looking for. A house hacking opportunity in Toronto. I don't mind if it needs a little bit of work. Here's my credentials, so on and so forth. And uh, yeah, so about 20% of the people will consider relisting. I would say another 10% are not going to list anymore. And the remaining 10%, they're willing to hear out what I have to say to entertain an offer, but they're also aware of the market. So it seems like everyone is aware of what is going on in the current environment. And funny little post here. I don't know if you go on Twitter, Mayu. Yeah. Twitter, like it's great for anecdotal evidence. You know what I mean? Like to hear the realtors boots on the ground sort of uh, thought process. 
this popular realtor on Twitter, she said that we were listed. Um, so she sold a condo. They were listed for a month. It was in downtown. And in one day, they received four offers. Same experience as me. Listed for a month, no action. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then on April 19th or 18th, whenever it was, they received four offers. That doesn't say what yeah. is happening, at least in the GTA market. I don't know about, I've heard similar stories in other markets, but not as crazy as the GTA. And I've spoke with Ming. If you guys know Ming, who was a previous podcast guest, he does development in the 416. He does fourplex, triplex conversions, owner volition properties, works as very high net worth individuals. You talk about like people who invest with millions of dollars sort of situation. I was asking him about a property I was looking at. And he said that in most Toronto neighborhoods in downtown, it's basically back to November 2021 pricing, December 2021 pricing. Except the only difference is rates is five percent. Yeah. Okay, so, so I saw the same thing for Pickering. I think it was like from the peak of the market, it's still I guess down like five or ten percent. But from I think they said June or July of or something like that of last year, it's up like ten or fifteen percent, which is kind of fucking nuts because our rates were lower. Like whatever period that they pegged it against, like the rates were definitely lower. So it sounds like the market is recovering. But I posted something on my story about this, and it's just like the rent increases are fucking drastic. I had a house in Scarborough where my tenant was paying me 2100 a month and I was like, all right, like rents are like 2400 for the main floor. So like, it's fine. Like the guy like takes care of the property, cuts the grasses, lawn, whatever, whatever, all this shit. And then I was looking the other day, I'm like, yo, now I'm at like 27 to 2800 is market rent. And the fucker called me and he's like, yo, Ma, you like one of the guys is moving out. Can we pay like $100 less for two months? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then I'm like, wait, like, let's see what like the actual market rent is here. I went online, looked it up. I was just like, yo, this is fun. So I think for the most part, like rents have gone up drastically, not just in Toronto, like every single freaking city out there, courtesy of like immigration. Like we're both like from like immigrant families and immigration is great, but I think you got to fix the housing situation before you just like more and more and more people coming. Now I sound like an old, old cranky person, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the infrastructure is not there to allow the yeah. immigrants, right? Yeah. So this is going to get more and more fucked. I, I don't know what the solution is. This is what happens when you have the lowest housing starts. Yeah, mixed with like record high immig- I don't know if it's record high immigration. Don't quote me on that, but extremely high immigration, right? Yeah, not including students that are coming in as well. Yeah, of course, most of them are going to settle down in Ontario or BC, one of the other. I, I don't know an immigrant that wants to go and live in Saskatchewan. What job opportunities are really there, right? Especially if you bring qualified people. Yeah, but the rents are just absolutely nuts, and um. Oh, what note? Oh, yes. We're, we're talking about the, the multiple offers. They're not really investors who are participating in it. So I was speaking with Clark Gill, who is a realtor. And, and these are just like conversations that like we've been having with people, right? These are just anecdotal. Okay. So keep in mind, guys, it's not data driven, but keep in mind also data lags in real estate a lot of the times. So it's good to talk to the boots on the ground people. I was speaking to Clark Gill, who helped us sell a couple of properties in Windsor. And he said multifamilies are just sitting there. They're just like sitting there on the market. And I was like, oh, like, how about like duplex or triplex? He's like, honestly, Austin, like you will probably make more money on single families than than these multifamilies right now because investors are still kind of stagnant. A lot of the action he's been getting from from this overbidding are from homeowners. And we saw that with one of the properties we sold, someone wrote us an extraordinarily emotional letter and they paid us an emotional price. I can't remember. Did we we sell to that guy? No, right? We sold to someone else, right? Yeah. No, no. We sold it to that person. No, no, they ended up coming up. They started oh, at like yeah. in the 300s, went to the 400s, then reevaluated to 415 and wrote a super emotional letter to us. 
And well, obviously, like they were the best the offer. Was the previous tenant, right? Like he was the one that used to live there. No, no, th- that was another person. That oh, person was not willing to go up anymore. <laughs> but yeah, like people are just making emotional decisions. And a lot of them are homeowners who are sick and tired of waiting. And like, how long can you really live with your parents for before getting on with your life and wanting to buy a property? Right. So that is something to definitely keep in mind. And student rentals as well. I was asking Clark, because for those who don't know, Windsor has a, yeah. a pilot program. <laughs> And if so, if you have, let's say, things that are non-conforming, the city is going to find out because an inspector goes in when you apply for a license around those student rental areas. Student rentals are not really moving as well. They're considered investment products for a lot of people. Homeowners don't go out and buy student rentals. So there's been a little bit of offloading there. But it's definitely interesting to see that the market has shifted. But at least anecdotally, what I'm hearing, a large part of the shift is because of home buyers, right? And yeah. home buyers, a lot. Sorry, I'm rambling. But the last note I want to make off here is like home buyers don't follow macro trends. I'm not even sure if most investors do. They follow micro trends, which is supply, demand, what's going on in GTA, right? Like those are like smaller trends on what's happening in the ground floor in Toronto, Ontario, or Canada as a whole, right? But we're still susceptible over the long term to macro trends and what's going on in the global environment, which we know that there's still a little like little bit of shakiness, little bit is to say the least. There's shakiness, there's uncertainty going on in the global environment. There's a lot that can go wrong still. And so in the short term, we are seeing this sort of lift in value because of our micro trends, right? People who don't yeah. follow just the supply and demand issue, record low supply in, in March, and that's forcing prices to go up. But who knows what happens seven, eight, nine months out. Like, I don't, I think people are jumping the gun saying that, oh, cool. this is price recovery for good. Like it's going to rock it up. Yes. And uh, you look at the micro point of view, but we are still a country that is susceptible to like global financial issues. So I don't know. Like there's my two cents. There's a cap. Unless wages start going up drastically or prices will, I still say have to come down. It just doesn't make sense for it to keep going up like this. Hopefully we reach a new wherever we're at and we just kind of pause and we go flat for like a year or two. And hopefully they don't cut rates too fast and kind of just, spring up the real estate market again for no reason, right? Like basically where I'm at in the investing side is honestly kind of bored of like doing the normal like single family bird, duplex, triplex, fourplex, like whatever, right? And so you get kind of bored of that kind of stuff. And then I was like, you know, do I do commercial? And a lot of these deals don't really make a whole lot of sense, right? Like the sellers are still being sticky and sellers still want, because they're investors, they understand what their property could be worth, right? But they still want inflated values relative to what the current market value of it should be. So I'm looking at multis outside of Ontario primarily. I'll, I'll look at a multi in Ontario if the numbers make a lot of sense. But in Ontario, more so what I want to start doing is kind of the development of development of multi-unit like apartment buildings, but I'm not going to jump right into it because that is probably the highest risk kind of strategy that I could take on, right? So there's one offer that I have right now on a lot that could be, you know, a triplex or a fourplex maybe if I redevelop it, but it's in Toronto. So like my risk is kind of limited. I can kind of go and see it all the time. I was talking to someone on Saturday, an event that I went to for a plot in London where we can build like four units on it and it's pretty cheap of value on the land. And the city's kind of already verbally said that they'd be open to like four units and potentially eight units if you duplex each like townhouse, right? So things that are like aren't crazy like development projects. I'm not trying to do like an entire like 30, 40 unit like subdivision or apartment building or some stupid shit like that, but just something where like I can spend like you know, four or 500 grand of my own money and kind of get into development and use construction financing for the rest and land financing and stuff like that. So that's more so what I'm pivoting to. It's more so I just want to try something new and learn something new, right? That's where the Airbnb side came from as well. It's like, you know, I don't have any Airbnb 
I know a lot about it. I've coached people about it. I've talked to people through like their own Airbnb. But I think us as investors, we have to pivot and just trying to do the same thing that we always did probably is not the right approach, right? But what do you think in the off-market world? Because I know you had, do you want to talk about that deal that you had? Or I don't you know if you want to go into that Which one. one was, oh yeah, so in the off-market world, it is, it is picking up for sure. The off-market is picking up. But to say buyers are coming back in flock is an exaggeration. And I think any wholesaler who's saying that either has a monstrous deal or is just not truly being honest, right? They're not it's nowhere near what you're seeing on the market, right? That craziness has not necessarily translated off market, but there are buyers who are more confident, more willing to take action because things have quote unquote stabilized, things are, are moving back in the right direction. So I've noticed that uh, at least on our end, the cheaper price points have an easier time of moving. Higher price points is a little bit more difficult. When we talk about flip properties, flippers are coming back in the market. Again, it's like sub 500K. We sent out a deal in Toronto and that one was a little bit more difficult to move. I assume because of the price point, a lot of the feedback is the financing aspect of things, people not able to qualify, so on and so forth. So that, I mean, that's not really much of an update there, but that's kind of what we're seeing here. It's like there is action for sure. There is still room to negotiate a little bit less so than before in the summer months. But you're not competing against 10 or 15 people a lot of the time. You're usually competing against four or five. And by competing, I mean conversations with four or five active buyers who are interested, right? Whoever throws in an offer, that's a little bit of a different story. But sellers in the off-market world still tied to pretty high price points, which makes it a little bit difficult. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I think we're seeing the same thing with lenders as a whole as well. Like I think we're still seeing credit be extremely tight, right? Like I had a lender pull out last week on a property in Toronto. Did we play some games? Yeah, but like, whatever. Um, so, so the lender pulled out just, just based on the quality of the asset, right? And they just want like top-notch like assets in their inventory for the type of properties that they're loading on. But I mean, it's been the same story for like the last three, four months. I do think maybe that like some of these lenders are offering like sub 5% rates, which is helping people qualify for bigger mortgages right now. But I don't know how permanent that will be if we don't start to see rates come down within the next probably like six months or so. I'm going to assume that the five-year bond and stuff will start to uptick higher. And so far, we're still getting the low rates, but we'll kind of see where that goes. With that being said, um, obviously, like the investing landscape as a whole, it's changing investors. I think on social media, we, we like to make it seem like, oh, yeah, like everything's like fun and dandy and like the same shit, like whatever. And we're all growing our portfolio and all that kind of shit. But I think once you get out there and you talk to other investors, you just start to realize that like, Everyone's like stuck in this like repositioning mode. I'm cleaning up my portfolio. I'm restructuring this asset, you know, focusing on what I have right now, which is a necessity because half the time we're bleeding on half of our shit, right? So you got to really restructure and rebalance the portfolio. But that being said, I think it's important to get out there and network with as many people as possible. We always say we're going to do this once a quarter, but it ends up being like once every like six months. We're going to be having our next Rise Real Estate Investing networking event. It's going to be on May 17th. So if you guys are you know, thinking about getting into investments, you already have investment properties, come out, talk to other investors, you realize how fucked everyone is together. So that's kind of a great feeling. Um, But it will be downtown. We're finalizing the venue right now. You guys will see that pop out on Eventbrite and on social media. Make sure you guys are following the Rise uh, Instagram page and or and or myself and Austin personally. But uh, we'll definitely put it out there first. And yeah, look forward to seeing you guys out there. Austin, anything else to add, man? 
Yeah, nothing much to add there. I think you covered it all. Just one thing to note on the lending side of things. Yeah, I was I was, I was speaking with RBC. It looks like a lot of the uh, three, four, five year rates have, have come down uh, to your point to the fours, mid fours or sometime in the high fours. The one and twos haven't really changed as much because, you know, banks don't make money off of one and twos. <laughs> like they have an incentive to charge higher rates. But that being said, the longer terms have come down. Interesting that you mentioned that you think it may go up. Like I've heard that it may come down further in the summer months, a little bit further on longer duration fixed rate. It all depends on what kind of sentiment it continues to have with the DOC, right? If they stick to this narrative that we're not going to be dropping rates for the foreseeable future, the bond markets are still pricing in. Um, I think it was a rate drop in, I want to say it was November, December, something like that. They're still pricing that in. The further out that rate drop starts to get, the higher bond yields will get, right? Which then trickle down to the three, four, and five, right? So the reason the one and the two year are pretty expensive is ultimately the market doesn't expect over the next one year that the variable is going to come down and therefore one year bond yields yeah. basically trading at near like the variable rate, right? Same thing with the two year, like even if rates start to maybe come down in year two, it's not going to have a huge impact on the two year bond yield. But when you talk about three, four, and five, yeah, there's a higher likelihood that rates will come down. Now it's how far into the three, four, and five will it come down is what ultimately impacts the yields, which is driven by consumer sentiment on these rates. But whatever, that's getting technical. But like, so overall, if they continue with their current narrative that we're not going to be doing rate cuts, I would assume we're going to start to see the yields get a little bit higher, which will then trickle down into the rates. But obviously, it just the sentiment is fucking changing every other announcement, right? So we don't really know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for the bond yield, I think a lot of people assume that a lower five years better. Not always the case, right? Because what happens during a recession? Rates get cut. So the expectation is, is that as the rates, if your five year continues to drop, you're looking at a deeper recession or higher probability mm-hmm. of a recession, right? So it's not the greatest news, right? I think people are celebrating on the housing side, but they're not looking at the impact from the bigger picture of what this actually translates into. Yeah. Anyways, we're getting we're getting into another tangent. So let's wrap it up here, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you know any people that would make a great guest, let us know so we can invite them on. And until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Take care, all.